This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Hey everyone, this is Jeff Meyer with HITS Canine Radio. Before we get to the show today, I just wanted to pop in real quick and say that I know the audio quality of this show isn't really where I like it to be. Um, Eric's uh, phone wasn't uh, connected as well, but I think the information that Eric shares in this episode is well worth uh, the the quality of the phone on this one. So apologize for the uh, connection issues on this one, but I think uh, the follow-up from Eric talking about release work is worth it. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I brought back Eric Good. He uh, did two podcasts with us about a year ago. And one of the podcasts that Eric talked about was clean and clear release work. And when I look at the stats from all the podcasts I've done, which is well over 100 now, um, that podcast is always in the top five. So I think maybe the title catches some people's eye and then they want to listen to it because release work is obviously a big topic for our profession. But then the content... That of what Eric talked about and the techniques that Eric's talking about really comes through really well on uh, the whole, all the, the techniques he's talking about come through really well. And I think the feedback that I'm getting from uh, when I see the emails is that it's working really well. And I pass a lot of it on to Eric and I know he's contacted quite a few of the people who listen to the show and had questions. So I thought it'd be good to bring him on today, go over some of the common questions because uh, I figure if Somebody's taking the time to email and ask questions and reach out to Eric. There's probably you know several other people who have the same questions. So, first off, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad to be back on. Yeah, I, talking about dog training. <laughs> I know you're you're a busy guy, so kind of got you early in the evening. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time. It's uh, everybody's always busy these days, so I appreciate it. But as I mentioned, I know you've gotten. Are you surprised with all the feedback you've gotten from the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of feedback and, um, you know, a lot of positive results, people that, um, had some serious issues that were able to resolve them with, uh, you know, a couple pointers here and there. So I enjoy the the feedback. I enjoy the questions. You know, I take the time to reach out to these people and, you know, either call them or email them and try and get into detail with them and, and work out a plan. So it's been great. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So I guess I'd start with if uh, you're listening to this podcast and you didn't listen to the first one, scroll back and it was about February of last year and it's called uh, Clean and Clear Release Work with Eric Good. And check that podcast out, come back and then we'll you know, this podcast will probably make a little more sense to you. So um, first off, uh, have you gotten any, do you see any themes of the questions that people are asking? Is there something that you and I didn't uh, go over the podcast well enough that... Uh, people are asking the same kind of question. Yeah, there's a couple things for sure. You know, one of the big ones is people will say, well, my dog outs the toy perfectly, you know, but then when he's on the man and it's a different situation. And, um, you know, my, my answer to that is what kind of toy are you using and how, how much are you increasing the, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Increasing the motivation for that toy. So if a dog spits a toy perfectly when it's a dead toy, sure. well then put it, put a sleeve leash on it, make a game with it. Now get him to spit it, you know, when there's back pressure, when game. there's back pressure and, and he's actively fighting for the toy. 
Absolutely. If if you can make them spit the toy there, then then that then that's going to carry over into the bite work most of the time. You got to make it hard for them, right? If they're spitting that dead toy, that's that's too easy. So, and just toy work in general, I think that guys and, and girls should be playing with their dogs a, a little bit better from you know than what I've seen traditionally. You know, put a sleeve leash on your toy, which is basically just a little leash, you know, without the hasp that looks on your toy and just make it super fun game. And that dog needs to let go of the toy instantly. When you say drop or whatever you're saying, the dog needs to let go. If you can increase that stimulation, it, it will carry over onto the bite work. So, you know, the, the prey movements are really what's going to make it more exciting for the sure, dog, right? Sure. That dead toy in their mouth is is dead and they know when they spit the toy that you're going to give it to them again right so that's most of the time where they're going to spit it and a lot of people use the two toy method you know and in my opinion i think you're lying to the dog at some point you're going to have to trick the dog and lie to them sure so if we we can make these prey movements get the dog super excited about the toy they bite the toy we tell them to drop it they drop it and then they get it again yeah so when you say to get it and that's a huge thing. And another problem that I see often, it's um, people are not allowing their dogs to make decisions. So the dog drops the toy. What does the handler do? The handler grabs onto the dog, pulls him back, puts exactly. back pressure on the harness or the, the choke chain. And now they're preventing the dog from making a bad decision. There's tension. They yep. reach down, they grab the toy. The dog cannot make a bad decision. And instead of that, Leave the toy on the ground, leave slack in the leash, reach down and grab the toy. And if the dog goes for it, the dog gets in trouble. Exactly. It has to be that way. And then if the dog goes for it, the dog gets in trouble. And then you're taking the toy and putting it in his face and basically saying, go ahead, go for it again. You're going to get in trouble again. Exactly. They have to make decisions. We need to micromanage their behaviors, but not micromanage their ability to make decisions. Yeah, Let them I think, make decisions. I think, you know, you made a few points I want to touch on that are really good. I think you and I both are on the same terminology when we talk about dead toys. But just so people know, you know, what you're talking about basically is that they're not doing anything more with the toys. So I think we've both seen that. The person who will play tug of war with the tug with their dog quite a bit. And then they stop, let the dog take a breath. Basically, the dog's really pretty much out of drive at this point, And they tell them to let go. And they're considering that a good release, and that's not that's not the same as a release off a bite suit when when the dog's fighting. So, uh, what you're saying is keep that that agitation of the toy up high and keep the dog in drive, so that way you're teaching him in the same mindset he's going to be in when he's actually doing real agitation work. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's just for the foundation for the first one or two sessions. I'm going to make the toy go dead sure. and then get the, get the release. And once the dog understands that and releases it, when it's dead, then I'm going to up the criteria and make it more difficult for the dog. And when you were talking if about, that makes sense. it does, it does. And when you were talking about picking up the toy, the mindset that I like to have, and I want to see if it's kind of your mindset, is I tell the handlers from day one, it's my toy. And I'm going to let the dog bite it every once in a while, but then I'm, it's my toy. And when I tell them to let go of my toy, then he can't bite it again. And I try to instill that mindset so that when they reach over to pick up their toy, they can do it with confidence that you don't have to snatch it out of his face. And it seems like a lot of times that the movements that a handler will make when they, like you say, hold the dog back and then they reach down and snatch the toy as fast as they can away 
from the dog, that just creates that almost that driving the dog to try and grab it back out of the handler's hand. I like picking it up with the confidence, putting it right in his face. Like, don't touch that toy. It's mine. I'll give it to you when you're ready. I'll give you your command. You can have it back. A hundred percent. Yep. That's, that's dead on. And, um, you know, two things happen when they go down to pick up the toy, they either go down really fast and they snatch it away and they make the toy prey, exciting the dog, kicking them into drive, making it super, super hard for the dog not to bite it again. Or the other thing is they go down and they're real sneaky and slow. Like they're trying to steal it from them. And then that makes the dog suspicious and that makes them want to bite it more. Um, Like you're saying, confidently just go down and grab it and be prepared to correct your dog, but don't have tension on the leash. The tension is poison. I agree. You have to have slack in the lead, allow the dog to make decisions. And, you know, part of the system is letting the dog bite the toy again when they release it perfectly, but it's gotta be on your command, right? So the dog releases, he gets it again. So in dog training, it's super important that we're using all four quadrants offering conditioning and not to go down a rabbit hole with that. Sure. But we're going to use positive reinforcement and positive punishment. So we're going to correct the dog for mistakes and we're going to reward the good behavior. And so if we can reward the good behavior, uh, let's say 80% of the time, then that's going to go much further than just correcting the bad behavior every single time. So the dog spits the toy perfectly. I say, get it. Now the dog gets to get it again and he gets to bite it. And we're rewarding those really nice outs over and over again. And then, you know, you do two or three of those in a row and then you pick up the toy and you go back into whatever you're trying to teach the dog. Right. But being able to reward and correct is really important. I I agree. You used a word there that I want to touch on because I teach like I do an e-collar class and it is, it's similar to this where there's a lot of, I always like in my e-collar class, um, I have a picture of, um, it's got puzzle pieces on it. And I tell them, you know, over the next couple of days, we're going to put all these pieces together. And then sometimes what I get is somebody who goes and they take a few pieces out of that puzzle and they want to use the, they, they think they're doing the same training, but they've left out different ones. So use the word system and I would imagine that some of the feedback you've got is where people are using part of this system and they're not using all of it. So are there some consistencies that people are, are I wouldn't say shortcutting, but maybe not realizing the importance of, of doing like what you just said, you know, that, that the dog gets a, uh, a release word to bite the toy again. You know, I'm sure there's some idiosyncrasies to all of this. Are you seeing some that are common? Yes, a hundred percent. It it all comes together when it when it all makes sense for the dog and when it's the whole system is put in place. There's um, pieces of it that are super important. And you know, in the first podcast, we talked about no barking and prey drive. Uh-huh. And for me, that's one of the biggest biggest things. And you know, guys and girls I talk to, they kind of want to skip that, and they want to go well. You know, my dog out sometimes, but he doesn't out, and, and they want to skip that no par- barking and prey drive. And to me, that's the most important thing. And that's where I'm starting Sure, is making sure the dog's quiet and prey drive. And what does that mean? You know, so because I know when I first heard it, it didn't really make sense to me. It took a little bit to comprehend it. So what that means is when the dog went, when there's prey movement from, let's say, a decoy or a toy, the dog should shut up. The dog should be quiet and should stalk the prey like a wolf would 
would stalk sure. a rabbit. Sure. Right? If they bark at the rabbit, the rabbit goes away. The wolf doesn't eat. So they got to be quiet there. When there's an obtainable target, when the toy is close to the dog or the decoy is close to the dog, they're probably not going to bark there. They're going to shut up. So we want to see that naturally. And, you know, in the first podcast, you can go back and listen to how we, how we quiet the dogs sure. down in prey drive. And then the next question I get is, well, you know, we, we do line agitation. We do things to bring out barking. And I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. I'm not a fan of line agitation per se, but barking is a super important part of what we're doing in building these dogs. So don't be afraid that because you're telling your dog to be quiet in prey drive, that he's not going to bark when there's a decoy behind a door. Right. If we yes. train it properly, when the target is not obtainable, then that frustration sets in. And that's when the dog should activate and go into barking. And, um, you know, there's a whole system that we use on barking, but you got to You got to quiet them up first. You got to shut them up first. And then the barking comes later. And in my opinion, the barking has to be on command or when the dog cannot get to the decoy, cannot get to the toy. Sure. And, um, those are those are pieces that I think people want to skip over and they want to, like you said, they want to do some Frankenstein version of the system yep. and, and hope it works when in reality, all these pieces are, are really important pieces. And I really like your puzzle analogy. That's that's perfect. And I guess like one of the things we'll just touch on real quick is that I think people probably when you're talking about this, they're concentrating on the dog you know, go back to the barking, they're concentrating on the dog barking and the barking is the behavior, but it's his mental mindset that you're actually trying to work on. Is that correct? Yeah, he's perfectly said. A hundred percent. That's it. And when, when they are barking in prey drive, which is an unnatural state, they are not clear. I like to say that wires are arcing in their head and they are not thinking clearly. So to get a, a clean out in, in that improper barking in in the wrong drive is going to be difficult later on when we teach the dogs to bark and bark on command and it's done in the right drive the dogs still have to out even after barking right but yeah. the out is so the out yeah. is so solid at that point that it's not a problem and i assume i'm sure you've seen these kind of dogs i've seen them several times in my career the dogs that are very high drive and sometimes they'll if you if you do a like when you do a stakeout test on a your selection test. I've seen the dogs that literally pull so hard they physically can't bark anymore because they're stretched out. Um, they're they're just pulling. They're they're maximizing everything. There's absolutely no tension on the leash. Their body is erect. Their tail hardly wags. You know they're doing everything they can to try to break that leash to get to you. If you had a dog that was doing that behavior, even though he's not barking, I assume that's still not the correct mindset that you're looking for. Am I right? You're right. And that's a great point. So the dog has to wait to strike the toy. So he can't be bouncing off the end of the line. He's got to be standing, waiting, and not, not pulling, like you're saying, at the end of the line, just choking himself out. When the dog is calm and standing, then we mark it. Yes, or whatever sure. mark you want to use. And, and move into the dog's strike area, and the dog strikes. Now, once the dog understands, hold on, i got to wait. I can't pull like this. Now the toy is in the dog's strike area the whole time. And if the dog tries to go for it before we mark it, then the dog gets in trouble. Yeah. And so again, the dog's making decisions. They have to, have to, have to make decisions. And they just start clearing their head, which 
then when they're on the bite, they're in the clear-headedness. They, if that's a word, headedness, but they're they're clear-headed, <laughs> and uh, th- then you can actually communicate with them. But it seems like when you let a dog, they go into that condition black, and you let them work in that. There is no communication, and you know I think some dogs maybe will respond to a certain level of of pain if you're going to do it that way. But some of these dogs won't even respond to that. So without clearing their head, I don't think it's possible to get a lot of these dogs to release. Right, or at least not to release very clean. Another thing that people bring up is, well, I don't want to diminish my dog's drive. And and I think that comes from some old school ways of training dogs. And um, the truth of it is by tapping that drive and making your dog wait quietly, calmly, that drive is being internalized. They're holding it in. So then when they are allowed to bite, now they can put it all into the bite. So you're actually increasing the dog's drive, but people are fearful that, oh, you know, I have this crazy mouth and I love that he's crazy. I love that he, you know, he wants yeah. to bite so bad. I don't want to deter that. You're not going to deter that. No. You're actually going to make it better. You're going to increase that drive. You're going to increase the power, increase the strength. Kind of like what you said before, seeing dogs come out on the field and on the way out to the field, they're pulling the whole way out there or they're spinning or they're barking. That drive is leaking out. If you can have some form of control where the dog can walk out there calmly and contain all that drive, they know what's about to happen. They know you're about to do some training. They're about to bite something. Hold it in and then release it all all when I, when I tell you to. Yeah, that's a good analogy. It's a very good analogy. But I think uh, like just to finalize that point, I think, like I said, the barking... I see it in, in, in the e-collar class that, you know, we're looking for the same accomplishments, but the, the clear-headedness of the dog that I'm looking for is the same that you are, and I think people kind of gloss over that because they're only looking for the physical parts of it if the dog's barking or whatever, and they're not really looking at that whole mental picture of the dog. And when you described your system to me, it made total sense because I'm kind of used to that, but it seems like... Um, sometimes people miss that that little piece of it. So, Like we've been conditioned to to think that a dog pulling at the end of a line, barking, going crazy is something that we want to see. True. Right. And, and maybe that's how they're brought up, you know, in Europe or wherever we're getting dogs and that's how they're taught. And they're doing that line agitation and there's a decoy running side to side and the dog's just barking its head off. I don't really want to see that. I understand that dogs, when we test them that are going to do that, but that's not what we want. We want a dog that naturally shuts up and prey drive, is quiet, stalks their prey, waits for their opportunity to strike. And look, if the dog does that when we go to test them, I'm not, I'm not going to not select him because of that because I know I can fix sure. it pretty easily. But that's just what they've been conditioned. And us as handlers, I think we need to look at it differently and not go, oh, that's a, that's a serious dog. Look at him. He really, really wants yeah. it. Well, you know, let, let's see what he does when he gets on the bike. Let's see how clear he is. Let's see, you know, does he out? Um, what kind of control we have here? And and what kind of power is in the bike? Because like you said, with them not being clear-headed, that confusion carries over into the bike Absolutely. and into the strength, yes. into the strength of the bike, right? When they're, when in, they're not clear, like, okay, dad said I can bite, but then sometimes I, I he tells me to out, yep. sometimes I have to let go, sometimes I can stay on for five seconds then that's when you get the chattery bite, less power. When it's crystal clear to the dog, I said bite, that means I'm all in, all in, all in. When dad says to let go, I let go as fast as I went into that bite. And 
And that's where the power comes from. And it's the biggest lie in police canine is that more control equals less power. I agree. It's, it's actually the opposite, in my I, opinion. I agree. So we didn't touch on this on the first one, but 99% sure I know what your answer is because I think you and I are on the same page. But you have a dog that is biting, whatever, whether it's a toy or the decoy or whatever, and then the dog on his own, like anticipates a command or something, and lets go of the bite. I look at that as not good because I think I told you to bite. I didn't tell you not to bite. So I will, you know, I'll figure out, you know, why the dog's doing that, but I'm not going to, I've seen some people say, well, hey, he's releasing, so I'm good with that. I imagine you're not happy with that behavior as well. So in the very beginning, when we're like, let's say week one, we're still teaching that out. Let's say we taught it on the toy. It's really solid on the toy. Now we've gone over to the suit and the dog anticipates and comes off half a second early before the command comes. I'm okay with it there. Right. Because to to me, that means the dog's learning. He's learning. Yes. But, and he's anticipating, okay, I better let go or I'm going to get a correction here. Yeah. But that's got to go away really quickly. Like you said, they're not allowed to let go early. Right. And and they're not going to get in trouble for it. But, you know, they want to bite so bad that they're going to stay on. They're going to stay on. We got to make sure that we're just being diligent and not doing the same things every time as the decoy. If every time is the decoy before, I want the handler to out. I stand up straight. I lock up. I look at the handler. I nod my head. Well, exactly. the dog learns. Exactly. This is the pattern. I know yep. what's coming and they're going to release. Does that mean it's a weak dog? No, that means the dog's smart and they know, okay, I know what's coming next. So we just got to bury it just like we did with the toy, keep that game going. And now the dog's got to release while there's still some agitation from the or some it, it, movement from exactly. the decoy. I would equate that to the now the decoy is nothing more than a dead toy. Right, 100%. Were there any other uh, common questions people were asking you? So another common question is, is the guard necessary? And like, what do I mean by the guard? So when you move on to the bite suit, the dog comes off of the bite and stands right there in front of the decoy and is guarding, right? So now the decoy moves side to side, the dog stalks them, follows them. And people say, is that necessary? You know, I'm never going to use that in the real world. And my answer to that is always, as part of the system, I think it's necessary. I agree that I'm never going to use that on the street. I'm never going to out my dog and leave him in front of the the bad guy. But just like we talked about earlier, we want to be able to reward the good behavior and correct the bad behavior. So when the dog outs perfectly, goes into that guard, then the decoy can pay the dog by dipping a shoulder, making, you know, some kind of movement. And there, you know, the dog's allowed to bite without command. And and just in that um, exercise, we allow that. But when the dog gets rewarded for perfectly clean outs, you're going to see really clean outs more often, right? It's not all about the correction. You let go, you get it again. Really important part of the process. And so with the guard allows us to pay the dog over and over again, and, you know, with that comes, I prefer to catch the dog's frontal, you know, on the left yeah. bicep, make sure they have really good targeting. But when you're catching them frontal, then that's how you can pay them again, you know, over and over again. It's it's more difficult if you're catching them on the tricep. Sure. Um, you know, some people, you can use a bite table or, or whatever and pay them there easier, maybe on the tricep for letting go. But so I think the guard is important and you're doing the same thing with the toy in the beginning. The dog is basically guarding the toy. 
The dog's stalking the toy. The toy is within range. And the dog can't bite it until the handler gives the okay. And and again, you know, I think people con- are concentrating on the, the physical movement of the dog going back and forth without concentrating on what's the dog's think. What is he thinking about? Is he clearing his head and is he listening to, for directions? So I think that's, you know, that's the important part of that whole exercise again is, is getting the right mindset. Yep. Yep. And so two cases that I've dealt with, and one of them was from the podcast, the handler reached out and for two years could not get the dog out, could not certify, was only doing detection work because of it. And the handler explained what would happen is the dog would out off the suit pretty, pretty regularly, but then the dog would go in and re-engage and that's when the dog would see red. And there was no getting the dog off, right? And another local agency, I helped the, helped the handler with the same problem. And the guard fixes that because in the guard, the dog comes off. Now he's making decisions. What they were doing before was taking away the dog's ability to make decisions. The dog went out. They would call the dog back to them. And the dog would say, uh-uh, yeah. I'm going to re-engage, right? Now we leave the dog in front of the decoy. And if the dog makes a bad decision, the dog gets in trouble. And once they understand that, it all goes away. And, you know, this handler for two years kind of certified, ended up getting certified after a couple That's months great. of working on it. Yeah, it was That's awesome. Great. Another, the local agency that I worked with, they just had out problems with this dog over and over and over again. And it was difficult for them to certify every year. It was a headache. Now the dog's like a show dog. It's it's unbelievable the change in these dogs. Really cool. And I say show dog, I mean like really yeah. nice outs. Yeah. The power is is gone up tremendously because now it's super clear to the dog yeah. that hey, I'm I'm all in and now I'm all out. Yeah. So that guard makes a, a really nice piece to the whole system that in my opinion is necessary. You know, the argument that you get against the guard, and I used to have this opinion too is okay well you do the guard when the dog outs how do i get the dog to come back to me you know that's the concern oh the dog's not going to come back to me the dog's not going to come back to me and that's where you know having a nice recall and restrained recalls and paying the dog with a toy with a sleeve leash and a big huge game attached to it when they do come back makes all the difference in the world right and then if they don't come back then again they get in trouble right they got just listen that's all they got to do just listen I'm a big fan of having two or three decoys on those situations. So then, you know, you'll teach the dog to come back and then check in. What's your next job? It might be this decoy. It might be that decoy. It might be a toy. But at least, right. again, you know, the, the dog has has some, some idea that he's going to get another assignment. He's just got to stay with a clear head and check in. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we found that with the, the round pillows that we're using, the ALM makes them, they're big. They're like a mini bite suit put the sleeve leash on it, man, that is just such a big reward for the dogs. It's a mini bite suit. You got the game attached with it, with the handler, the handler's playing tug of war. The dogs love it so much that I found that we don't need that second decoy because they love that game. Okay. And, you know, brings up a whole nother topic. I mean, we can go down this sure. road, but just quickly, like dogs should be able to, you should be able to play with your dog with your toy, with a decoy on the field. Absolutely. Right. You know, if if you can't do that, then why is your dog going to come back to you? Yeah. So most of the time guys are just playing with tennis balls or Kongs or, you know, put the sleeve leash on and get them a really high value reward and utilize that and and work on it, you know, go out there and maybe the dog doesn't get a bite, but 
and you make sure the dog doesn't get a bite. But all you do is play with the dog, do a little bit of obedience, play with the toy over and over and over again. And then maybe at the end they get to go bite yeah. or and just mix it up. So being able to play with the dog with a decoy present is, uh, and we call it secondary obedience, is um, sure. really important. I agree. It goes back to, again, you're just getting the dog to have the right mindset. He's the he's not going to lose his mind just because there's a dude in a poofy suit standing out on the field. Right, right. And then um, one more question that, that kind of comes up, or I don't want to say it's a question, but something that I see. So when people reach out and then I say, hey, send me some videos, what do I see? Well, I see the handler giving multiple out commands over and over again, right? So yeah. I just wanted to cover... Yeah. The, ba- the basics of that and just and this goes for all dog training you know you tell Absolutely. the dog to out and then the dog doesn't out it's no with a correction right and then if you have to the out command again but every time it's no with a correction if the dog doesn't obey if i tell the dog to down i don't tell him to down twice i say down and if the dog doesn't down it's no with a correction right yeah. and then you only have to stay down one time and then you only have to say out one time right with, so we use these cor- without these watering down so the word. Is, oh, I was going to say is without watering down that word. Exactly, exactly. And and the dogs learn. Okay, I don't have to listen till the third time. A correction is yeah. not coming till the third time. Okay, the the handler said out, but a correction doesn't come for five seconds. So I'm going to keep biting for yep. five seconds. Yep. You know, if you were starving, you hadn't eaten in days, and I put a nice juicy steak in front of you and put an e collar on you and said start eating. But when I tell you to stop, you better stop. And you start eating, and I tell you to stop, and then the correction doesn't come for five seconds. Every time I tell you to start eating again, you're going to keep eating for five extra seconds because I didn't correct you exactly. immediately. If you say, stop eating, no, immediate correction, then the dog's going to let go right away. And if they're not letting go right away, it's because you're allowing the dog to not let go right away. I agree. I think that well said. Well, these are all good points. Do you have any other feedback that you had or any other stories from? Um, you know, the only other thing that comes up pretty often is like, what kind of e-collar do I prefer? I, I prefer a Garmin Pro 550. Um, that I just seem to get the best results with that. I pair it with a, a second box. So it's a Garmin Pro 550 with a Garmin PT10. So the one remote controls the two boxes at the same time. And it's not necessarily more stimulation. It's just a, a better chance of contact. So yeah, if you can put those, level. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could put those two receivers on one collar. And you just have a lot better chance of contact, and then the dog can't turn their neck and you know disconnect the contact and fight sure. through it. Sure. Well, excellent. These these are all uh, good good feedback, and I'm glad that uh, people are enjoying the show. Hopefully, uh, this generates even. Maybe another group of people who maybe missed the show a year ago when it was out, uh, they'll check this out and then we'll go back and, and listen to it. So I appreciate all you're doing. I know there's some good work coming out of out of uh, some of the dogs you're training down there. So I sure appreciate taking the time tonight and uh, keep doing the good work and uh, keep staying safe down there. Of course, and thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, I'm more than willing to answer questions. And so thanks again. Excellent. I'll put... Uh, your, your contact in the show notes, and you can always reach Eric through me as well. So I uh, appreciate it, Eric, and uh, stay safe. Thanks, everybody, for listening. All right, thank you. Stay safe, too. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Hits Canine Radio. Hope you enjoyed this episode. 
And I want to remind everybody that if you want information about HITS K9 Seminar, we're going to be in Orlando this year. And we have a lot of great vendors coming. I always say, you know, it's the largest vendor area in the entire uh, industry. So pretty much every big vendor, every product that you want to see is going to be on display. You can talk to the people there. To name a few, we have Havis coming. They do an outstanding kennel. They'll have a vehicle there that you can see the kennel, see how it fits. Pacific Coast Canine will be there. They're a longtime sponsor. Ken and Laura Pavlik are the owners. They'll be there to talk to you. They'll have some videos of some of the dogs they sell. You can get to know them, find out what they do uh, with all the different uh, dogs they sell and uh, what it would take to, to come out and look at some of their dogs. Blue Nine Pet Products, they do the place board for dogs and they'll have, uh, they usually have a dog or two that they've trained uh, at their booth. They'll kind of show you some really cool stuff you can do with their products. So Blue Nine Pet Products is a longtime sponsor. Yukonuba Dog Food will be there. They've been a longtime sponsor also. And then this year, a newer sponsor is Canines Unlimited. That's a 501c3 that is doing a lot of really great stuff. And they're sponsoring uh, officers to go to training free of charge. So they host the training. They pay all the costs. The officers get to show up and do all the training without having to pay a registration fee. So that's just a couple of the outstanding sponsors that you'll be able to meet in Orlando this year in August. Go to hitsk9.net for any further information. Hitsk9.net has all the dates, all the classes, and all the instructors. Thanks again for listening.